So our reading today is from Luke 18, and that is page 1052, 1052 in the Church Bibles. And it's Luke 18, verse 9 to 14, on page 1052. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Oh, thanks, Kevin, for reading for us. Great to see you here tonight. If you've not spotted them already, Pete and Katie Myers are with us sitting down the front. Here are some of our mission partners. So if you not went around this morning uh, at our, our picnic and had a chance to say hello, do make sure uh, you say hello to them. It's great to have you uh, here with us. And to others of you who are maybe visiting or here with us and you, lovely to have you here. We are at the end of a, a little uh, summer series, Lessons for Life, looking at different parables in, in Luke's Gospel. Uh, and last week and this, Jesus' teaching uh, involves prayer of some kind. Uh, good to get these passages in context. If you've got the Bible open in front of you, uh, what sparked off some of this discussion? So if you've got a Bible there open in front of you, if you turn back to chapter 17 and verse 20, and you see, some of this begins with a question. Um, in fact, you don't need to turn back that far. It might even be on the same page. I've got a slightly different Bible. Chapter 17, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied. So they're asking him, when's God's kingdom going to come? And Jesus told them, if you read on in these verses, the coming of God's kingdom is not something you can observe. People won't be able to say, here it is, or there it is. Uh, but intriguingly, verse 20 in chapter 17, he says, it's in your midst. Uh, there will come a day, Jesus says, when he returns, and it will be obvious. On that day, God's kingdom will light up everything else. Uh, but at the moment, it won't be obvious. It could be overshadowed. We could miss it. Or worse still, we could dismiss it. 
So what are some of the values that go along with God's kingdom? What do we need to be looking out for or cultivating? What lessons do we need to learn? If you were here last week, Zika was preaching, and Jesus spoke about, if you remember in the previous passage, the one we've read tonight, he spoke about prayerful persistence, trusting that God will one day bring justice and end suffering, and continuing to pray for that even if you're going through suffering in injustice yourself at the moment. That's one of the values of people in God's kingdom now. That's one of the ways you'll see it. Here it is growing. And this week, Jesus is spotlighting a different issue, and it focuses around confidence. You're a confident person. What does confidence... It's quite a thing. You kind of think, well, I know what confidence looks like, but what does confidence look like in God's kingdom? What kind of confidence are you meant to see growing? And you realize as you read this, Jesus is noticing there's a kind of confidence being displayed that's not quite right. And he picks up this word righteousness in verse 9, where he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. And then in verse 14, he says, this man went home justified. That uh, that word justified and righteousness, they're, they're kind of the same sort of words um, it, it's uh, uh, justified is kind of the same as righteous. It, it's a legal term. It means to, to, be, to be declared to be right or in the right. You might think as you hear that, talking about righteousness, confident about my own righteousness, you, you don't speak like that, but we all do, don't we? We all talk in those kind of ways. You ever said that? I was right to send that email. Right to send it. You know there's a question even if you have to say it, but I was right to send that email. I was right to be angry. It's totally right for daddy to eat the last four jelly snakes in the packet. That was totally right. Maybe that's a very specific thing to things that happen in our house. But whenever you say something like that, they're, they're declarations of righteousness. You do that, don't you? And you'll hear those kind of things in conversations and on social media, people declaring their righteousness. That's what Jesus is talking about here those kind of declarations. And you realize in talking about God's kingdom, he's reminding us, look, we we live in God's world. That's the reality we're in. And if he is the moral arbiter for all things, claims to be in the right, which ignore him, would be somewhat premature. And so he tells his parable. Helpful for us to think about it in these ways. We'll think about the, the two men and the two prayers. And then, really, just one big lesson to learn. So, so here's the two men. You, you see them. It's pretty simple, and you might have thought about this before. Jesus picks these two characters, and they're often examples in the Gospels, aren't they? They're worth thinking about who they are. Uh, there's the Pharisee. And on face value, he is the religious conservative, rules and respectability. And then there's the tax collector. He's, he's like a lackey for the Roman occupiers. And you could think in purely religious terms for them. Uh, There's the the Bible-believing moralist versus the friendless immoral outcast. But if you are to think of them in those ways, that would be too simplistic. With the Pharisees, you kind of think in religious terms, but you can go beyond that if you want to understand them. They are part in their day of the kind of establishment elite. 
So if you read through Luke's gospel, we'll meet them at various points. In Luke chapter 11 and 14, there are Pharisees who are holding dinners. In a sense, they're kind of like society dinners. No, I... Never been to any of them, but maybe you can think of maybe a formal dinner at Trinity College. Uh, the right people and interesting guests. It's a thrill to be invited to something like that. that. That's what's going on here. In Luke 13, you meet the Pharisees. They're the people who are expressing outrage when they believe the accepted values of society are being undermined in some way. And in Luke 16, you, you pick up as well, they are financially successful and influential. And you get this, you begin to understand these people a little bit. You, you see their place in society. They're, they're the people in the right society, eating the right food, farmed in the right ways, with the right opinions and the trappings of success. Don't just think they'd be bishops or church leaders. Look, while they're religious in their culture, they'd be the people... I guess in their culture, they'd be the kind of people you'd expect to see on Question Time. Or maybe even on Graham Norton. I don't know. They, they, you know you'd be interested to hear from them. Some would, they, they'd be the people whose opinions would, would count. Their tweets get retweeted. Their Instagram gets followed. And then the tax collectors. I guess it could be easy to think they're, they're kind of the, the friendless people. Maybe even think they're, they're kind of poor in society. But, and Jesus has come to draw them back in. But no, you, you know this. They're, they're wealthy and they have lots of friends. You know that when Jesus is invited to some of their homes, there's lots of people that come there for a meal for the party with. And they have lots of friends, just the wrong sort. Their job was collecting taxes. The Romans, in a sense, would franchise out tax collection to some locals. They'd collect the taxes and add a bit for themselves so they'd make a tidy profit. I'm trying to imagine, how do, you, how do you think about people like this? Something a bit more contemporary. Like, perhaps think, I know there's a war going on, but perhaps even think back to when Russia occupied Crimea, I think back in 2014. Imagine there's a Ukrainian who sees an opportunity to make some profit working for the Russians even at the expense of his own people, and they become pretty successful in that way. You can imagine the feelings there. Now, now money will always produce certain kinds of friends for you, and they've not killed anyone themselves. But the popular view is you don't care about your country. You don't care about your people. You're just interested in your own wealth. That's that's the sense, isn't it, of what these people are like? Or, or perhaps even closer to home, I, I imagine there's some who'd view a kind of Nigel Farage figure a bit like that. All your Brexit posturing, it wasn't really for the good of the country. And I bet you made loads of money out of it. We've got you pigeonholed like that. But look, if you imagine the tax collectors in that kind of sense, but the, as you come to the story, the real punch comes when Jesus says it's the second guy who goes home justified before God. It's the Brexit profiteer over the ethical vegan. It's the national disgrace over the national treasure. That's unsettling, isn't it? And you understand what Jesus is saying as he, as he speaks in this kind of way. He is saying, look, it is possible to feel you live in a world that's persuading you. You've every reason to feel 
confident. And in reality, you've got none. You have no reason to feel confident in the end. So why? Uh, that's the setup. Look, there, that's the, the two men. Here's the two prayers. Let, let's look at these two prayers we have before us. I don't know if you've heard of James uh, Bartholomew. You, you might have. He, he's a journalist with a claim to fame. I only found this out the other week. He says he's the first guy who coined the phrase virtue signaling. You know that phrase? I mean, I thought he's been around for, forever. He, he, his claim is he coined the phrase back in 2015. He, he was writing an article, I think, for The Spectator about whole food stores and how people signal the ways in which they're a good person. That, that's his claim to fame. He says he coined the phrase, and it's got a dictionary entry now. It's really landed in the popular imagination. The phrase has got a dictionary entry, and I think it's something like this. So virtue signaling, I think you'll have heard of it, but here's the definition from the dictionary. The action or practice of expressing one's views motivated primarily by the wish to exhibit good character or to garner recognition and approval. You understand that? Virtue signaling. Here's an action or practice. Really with the, uh, motivated primarily to garner recognition and approval. It's putting yourself in the spotlight. Declaring the things you love. Proclaiming who you de-platform. So everyone knows you're virtuous. On Twitter, hashtag humblebrag. Here's what we're putting out about ourselves. And there's quite a bit of that in this prayer. Did you notice? No Twitter for him, so it's up to the temple and probably during public prayer. And his prayer begins with thanks. Do you notice that? He's, he's thanking God that he's not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And his prayer's not general, is it? It's not just a general abstract kind of thing. He mentions the tax collector. He's not so caught up in his prayer that he doesn't notice who's standing you know, with an eyeshot of him. But while his prayer names God, you notice, don't you, you can't help feeling it. The way Jesus tells the story, he's, it's really about himself. Five times he refers to himself. It's literally more like this. I, I thank you. I am not like. I fast. I give from all I get. That's who's in the spotlights. And I mean, he's right, isn't he? He's not like other men. He does lots of of good stuff. He's, he's disciplined and he's devoted. He's moral and he's meticulous, but he's, his reference point is himself. In fact, verse 11, if you've got it there in front of you, the, the way he prays this, it, it could be read, the Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. Uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed towards himself. That's why he's confident. He's done enough. More than enough. Certainly more than the tax collector. His prayer is really spotlighting his achievement so others will say, he's a good guy. This guy's okay. Now when you get 
what's happening, you'll notice it in religious settings, won't you? You'll notice religious people doing that. I think it's possible. It is possible to be the kind of Christian who at one level seems to be doing all the right things. They'll lead prayers, they'll invite people around for dinner, they'll explain doctrine accurately, they'll do all those things. The, the thing is, they, they end up doing it in a way that feels they're highlighting their own goodness. And yet somehow you never feel good enough around them. And they don't end up encouraging people into a gracious relationship with either themselves or Jesus. And they find that after a while, people begin to stand at a distance from them. They're not drawn to them. You can see that among religious people, but also non-religious ones too. People can signal virtue in many different ways. There was time, I don't know if it was last year or a couple of years ago, when I felt each week a different celebrity would be telling us they were transitioning to a plant-based diet. It seemed to be on every talk show. It'd be on, on Twitter and all sorts of things. And I thought, why are all these people wanting to tell me? Oh, James Corden, I think, was one in particular. He was telling me he was transitioning towards that. I mean, the fact that he was transitioning, he said, oh, I've, I've, become ve- I've become a vegetarian now. I've not quite made it all the way to vegan, but that's the way I'm heading. And I think, why do you need to tell me this? We're just signaling it out. Uh, or it could be in other ways, couldn't it be? Uh, the way we're educating our children. Or who am I an, an online ally with? Hashtag I stand with whoever it is. Let me spotlight how righteous I am because I express these views, because I hold these positions. Look, that's one prayer. It can be prayed in, in religious settings, that attitude. You can see that kind of confidence. And you can see it in secular kind of ways as well, displaying that kind of thing going on. That, that's one. And then there's the tax collector. Do you notice this other prayer? It's different. He stands at a distance. And he won't raise his eyes to heaven. He beats his breast and says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And actually it could be translated, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's the way it's written. And you hear what's going on, don't you? Uh, there is no, for this man, there is no horizontal comparisons. He's not thinking about what other people might have done. From his posture and his prayer, you realize this man doesn't want to be in any kind of spotlight. But he feels totally caught in God's spotlight, you had that feeling, or you had this kind of experience, someone brings out a camera and points it towards you and you say, oh, please don't, (laughs) please don't. I look awful, (laughs) I'm not ready. And maybe somebody says, what what do you mean, that's the way you always look. Uh, and that just crushes you even more. But you know that feeling, I, I don't want to be caught. I don't want to be caught looking like this. It's a terrible thing for me. Please, please put it away. And if you imagine that feeling just with your externals, you then imagine it with the kind of internals when you really think about yourself or being caught that way. And if you can feel that, that's where this man is at. 
We used to play, I might have mentioned it to some of you before, we used to, we play games around our dinner table at times. We used to play the game, Would You Rather? At the end of a mealtime, we have a little game of Would You Rather? You know that kind of thing. Would you rather smell like cheese or cry vinegar? Which would you rather? The big questions, the big questions in life. Would you rather have, you know, a tattoo of Celine Dion on your back or, you know, have to listen to take that for the rest of your life? The big questions, those kind of things that you need to know the answer to. Silly ones to make us laugh. But then one time I asked the question, would you rather never speak again or have to say everything you ever thought? And our youngest said straight away, say everything I thought. And our eldest, this was some years ago, said, say everything I, wait, never say anything again. And I thought, he's got it. (laughs) I felt a bit sad. (laughs) He'd got to the age where he'd become aware of what was going on inside. And at that point, our youngest was oblivious. I'll say everything that I ever think. Yeah, that's fine. Our eldest, I'm never going to say anything again, if that's the deal. And if you know that for yourself, you ask this question. Do you want to be spotlighted? This man in Jesus' story, he wants to be covered. And that's what he's praying. Verse 13, just have a look at it with me. This, this little uh, prayer he prays, God have mercy on me, the sinner. The, the word for mercy there is it's not the more common one. It, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word that's used in our story here is used back then. It's part of a group of words linked with the activity of the Jewish Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice into the most holy place. The ark was there with God's law. No one had ever kept all of it. And the cover over the top of the ark, it was called the atonement cover, or sometimes the mercy seat. It covered over God's law, and the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice there. And you you get the image, God providing a way for your failures, your sin, to be mercifully covered over. For God's judgment to be turned away from you. And so you understand what Jesus is saying here in this story. This man's praying, God, would you provide a sacrifice for me that will cover my sin so I won't be spotlighted in your right judgment? And Jesus says, on the basis of that prayer alone, it's this man and not the other who goes home justified, in the right with God. Two men, two prayers, and finally, look, just one lesson. And it's one lesson that's actually a person. And just stick with me on this. What, what's the lesson for life Jesus wants us to learn? How, how will we recognize, remember, when will God's kingdom come? Remember, not be, it will not be vastly obvious at the moment. One day it will be, but in the moment it's easy to miss it. What are the kind of things you should look for? What are the kind of things we should be cultivating? What are the kind of things that should be growing up amongst us? What are the values we should, we should have? Jesus says, look, it's, it's this, here's one of the things you look for. Here's one of the things you notice. Here's one of the things you encourage. In God's kingdom, our confidence is in God's mercy alone and not in outperforming anyone else. 
You've realized, haven't you, the, the difference uh, between these two men in the story is, is whether their confidence is rooted in the horizontal or the vertical. The Pharisee, he's only measuring himself horizontally with other people. And because of that, God seems pretty small for him. And it leaves him free to feel, I'm better than these kind of bad people around here. I can even look down on them. The tax collector, he is only measuring himself really vertically with reference to God. And what that does for him is he realized there is no benefit in the end claiming to be better than anyone else. There's no benefit to me in claiming I'm better than anyone else if I've got to answer to God. You think about it this way. Do you think the fact that you are eating sustainably grown kale from a farm in the Cotswolds is going to leave you in a better standing with God than the family who head to Subway every Saturday? And goodness knows where that stuff is farmed and produced. Sure, it's awful. But do you think it will leave you in a better standing with God when the spotlight of God's holiness is going to blaze through and expose every single aspect of greed in your life? If you think that, your confidence is misplaced. Now in this one, look, adultery is wrong. But if you feel persuaded that just because you've never done that, you will be in a better standing with God than someone who has, when the spotlight of God's holiness is going to blaze through and expose every single lustful thought, your confidence is misplaced. You're only measuring things horizontally, how good you are compared with others, and not by the holiness of God. Jesus says, look, our confidence is in God's mercy, not in outperforming anyone else. And as we think about that, good for us to make clear, look, when we talk about the values and attitudes of God's kingdom, we do that remembering they're not abstract. They're not just things you've got to hear about and, and adopt. They're a person. This idea of being mercifully covered that was found in the Old Testament, those Old Testament signs and symbols, they are fulfilled in a person and in an action. The one whose blood was scattered, sprinkled, to cover our sin and provide mercy. It wasn't a lamb. It was the Lord Jesus. He was spotlighted in God's judgment in order that you could be covered. Our real confidence is found in him and the Lord Jesus for all his righteousness. He never paraded it. You know this about him, don't you? The Lord Jesus for all his righteousness never did anything wrong. He never paraded it in a way to look down on others. You know what he was called. He was called the friend of sinners. The most unrighteous were drawn to him. They loved him. That's why you've come to him. Even when you feel yourself inadequate, you come to him because he doesn't parade it in a way to make you feel you want to stand off. He draws you to himself. Sinners are drawn to him. You've been drawn to him. And you'll know you're drawing close when the warmth of his grace starts to give you the kind of confidence 
where you don't look down on others either, but you long for them to share the mercy you found. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back up, and we're going to sing in a moment together as we prepare to share the Lord's Supper. We're going to sing a song that speaks of the Lord's grace and our response to it. Uh, but as we do that, let's bow our heads in a moment uh, for uh, just to pray quietly ourselves. Lord Jesus, our, our grace is, uh, our gaze is so easily drawn just to looking at others around us. And as we've listened to your word tonight, please, we ask, would you help us and draw our gaze back to you so we'd find the right kind of confidence. Help us to learn that lesson in life. Amen. Amen. Please stand as the music begins. <clears throat>